0: Us being open to knowing that there there's some differences, but it's okay.
1: The good conversations or the ahas also often happen in the gray space, in the ambiguity, in the in-between.
0: If we don't educate each other on what those things are,
2: then we'll continue to be offensive. We've got to talk about it to make change.
0: Hello, I'm Marcus Goss, the proud principal at t Wingate Andrews High
2: School in High Point, North Carolina, the greatest high school in all of the land. And I'm Eric Negley, principal of the incredible Page High School in Greensboro, which I would say is better.
1: I am Winston McGregor, the president of the Guilford Education Alliance, and this is part one of a three-part series with Marcus and Eric, where we're focused on their project, Great Expectations. So, discussions about race are hard for most of us. And without trust, these discussions can do more to polarize than to create understanding. You both partnered recently to start Great Expectations, and you wanted to create a safe space for folks to talk about race. So, with this being a podcast, I think it's important to point out for our listeners that Eric, you're a white man, Marcus, you're a black man, I am a white woman. And listeners, we'd like you to understand that Great Expectations is spelled G-R-E-Y-T, like the color gray. So, guys, can you tell us how you came up with the name Great Expectations?
0: Uh, So after a a whole lot of conversation um, back and forth about what are we going to call this, uh, we came up with Great Expectations and spelled that way just because it's a happy meeting in between black and white. And so race wise, we wanted it to be something where everybody could kind of see themselves in there. So it was a kind of a melting pot piece, if you will, where we all kind of come together and have some dialogue and conversation.
2: We are both obviously a black male and a white male, um, but this is also meant for races for all people, whether you be Hispanic, black, white, whatever that may be, the gray is speaking to all so that we can all come together and have some great conversations. And it kind of speaks to the mindset as well. So coming into a mindset, not from one perspective
0: or, or any others, but coming into a mindset that it all kind of depends. And then I'm here with the open mind, kind of learning from everybody and trying to figure out like what I don't know about others, um, other races, backgrounds, cultures, um, is, is also one of the thought processes that we have.
1: I mean, the good conversations or the ahas also often happen in the gray space, in the ambiguity, in the in-between, not in the extreme. Correct. Not in the obvious. Yes. Right. Um. So it's my understanding that Great Expectations started because of this friendship and trust um, that you guys built up over a number of years. And it allowed some of those gray area conversations. You waded into the waters. And we're going to talk about how that friendship unfolded. But really, first, I think I'd like the listeners to learn a little bit about you, your background, your family. kind of what you're like because that really forms the alchemy of the partnership right this chemistry between the two of you but i'd like to try something a little different that we've talked about and rather than asking say eric you to tell me about yourself or marcus you to give me some of your background i'd like you to tell me about the other (laughs) so i want you to tell us some of your friend's story you've learned it over the years um and so Tell us some of that, where they grew up, their family, what are their interests, their hobbies? You know, how do you see them and perceive them as a result of that journey they've been on in life?
2: All right. So this is my, um, as we always like to say, brother from another mother, Marcus Golfs. Um, So he grew up, as he likes to say all the time, down east. Um, He's a country boy, Um, grew up down near the beach, Um, talked a lot about that um, over all of our car rides together. Um, but then moved um, to Greensboro, I think originally to go to North Carolina A&T. And he started out in a little bit of a different uh, career path. um, And I believe it's manufacturing engineer. Come on. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I do my brother. Absolutely. Um, And then did that for a few years. And then just upon happenstance, tried to do something in education. I think he went back and did a Little short-term sub or long-term sub job, and then loved education and and went from there. So he spent a little time in the classroom, spent some time in his early years at Dudley High School, and that's when we initially met when he was in the school administration licensure program with me at Chapel Hill. Um, during that time, we um, had lots of great times, learned about each other's family. So his family, in particular, Tamika's a a rock star, um, lawyer here in the dish, in the, um, in the County. And then he have, he says two great kids, um, Aiden and Alex. Um, so we talked a lot about that. And I think one of the funny things at that time back then was, um, laughing at each other. Um, our wives becoming pregnant with our next one. And then I'd laugh at him, make fun. You're having another one. And then a month later, the Negley family was yeah. bringing on board another of our four wonderful boys. So um, that's a little bit about his family. I think um, right now, you know what he did in school back in high school. I, I know he was um, on the football team. I don't know if he played much because we all know <laughs> about Marcus Marcus <laughs> is shaking his head. He he has the arts background. We all know Marcus is a big singer, so um, usually you can't do both of those, I, I, but not Marcus weird. can. So yeah. um, so he, he played a little ball in in, in uh, high school and then. What life's like now, I think, you know, he does a lot of um, different speaking things, whether it be at churches around um, North Carolina, obviously singing all over the globe. We, we have lots of conversations, whether they be at, as he knows, I'll call him at 430 in the morning because I'm an early bird, or he'll call me late at night and wake me up because I like to go to bed early. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about my brother from another mother, Mr. Marcus, or as we now call Dr.
0: I I'm very proud of you. You did well. That pretty good? Yeah, that was pretty good. good. Did
1: it's he miss good. anything? Is there are, are there, you know, seminal things from your growing up or your professional career that Eric missed or that you seem pleased that I, you remembered your original.
0: I think path? I was just floored. Like I the, the original path piece of him not forgetting that piece and then knowing the degree was <laughs> I was impressed. Yeah, that's good.
2: How now is your test. Oh, this is...
0: I mean, where do you want to start? No, I grew up in Gainesville in Florida. Uh, and he is undoubtedly the biggest Gator fan that I know. Um, And I know that because he spends a lot of time... He claims to be going to see his family and parents. <laughs> but he's going to the football game. A lot of those things happen during football season when the Gators have a home game. So he's a diehard fan there. And he... When he came here, he came on a football scholarship to Greensboro College, and he's a kicker, he's a football kicker. And I didn't know i didn't know that at all. Um, and so that's the reason why, because I'm not a football player. I'm not an athlete. Um, I played sports, but I'm, that's not me. The best part about his time there is that I'm still unsure how he pulled this off, but um, he married um, Devin, and Devin is perfect. Like, she's absolutely perfect, which is why I'm trying to figure out, like, how <laughs> how that meshed and how that worked out. Um, but Eric also has—he has four boys. So as he was talking about when we were in this competition going back and forth, like, I bowed out and I stopped, but he just kept going. Like, he just—he's that competitive. Um, so I, <laughs> I think that talks about his nature of who he is. Like, temperament-wise, he is—there's no middle um, for the most part. There's either— I'm going to give you every single thing that I can give you. I'm going to give you the world. I'm going to lay it in your footsteps or it is you have crossed me the wrong way. And so now I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to make sure I take up for my kids, um, both those biological ones and those that he's adopted um, that are not his, but he takes care and treats like they're his own. Um, I think another interesting piece that I found about Eric is that he we're similar in this regard is that he has this perception or this persona of I'm going to figure it out. Um, and one of the things that I love about him is that the things that we see out front, like uh, some of the news articles we have read about Eric being, you know, not only counting, but regional and state finalists for principal of the year. And um, even some of the things that he's done with his seniors in the midst of the pandemic, but going house to house and those things, making national news and, um the things that that i'm really proud of is the things that i know that he does behind the scenes when nobody else is watching
1: so marcus can you give me three words that come to mind when you think of eric
0: family humble
1: bold all right eric can you give me three words that come to mind when you think of marcus or that describe marcus
2: tenacious loving I would use family as well
1: and I think the other thing I'm going to ask you is because Marcus you alluded to this a little earlier what is at least one thing that you think you and Eric really share in common
0: I think family I think we hit that pretty pretty dead on like that's something that's extremely important for me growing up I grew up in a pretty large family um and so, even now, that's one of those things where even me and my children, my family, like we're we're pretty close and tight, and we're always doing something.
2: I'll follow up on that family thing. I think, and Marcus hit on this a little bit earlier. What family? I think we both do a lot of um, that sort of behind the scenes that we'll I think we'll talk about a little bit today is not just our actual biological family, but he's adopted quite a few kids at his current school and has seen them move on to bigger and better things and help them out in situations. And I've done the same um, at Paige. I think that family, when you talk about that, it's just not our biological family, but also our extended family and what we try to do for our students each and every day, because they all need something different. Um, And I think that's what's so powerful. And I I think, you know, many cases, the, the students that I adopt, they don't look, they don't have the same skin color as I do. Where, where, as they do usually for him at Andrews. um, And, but the reason that is so comfortable for me, obviously, my upbringing in my own family, and then, but also what I've learned from him and how to work with students of other races so tightly and adopt them into my own family.
1: There's that notion of the family you're born into and the family you choose. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Great. Thank you. Yep. Share and comment, a commitment to both. For listeners who don't know, let's talk about how the friendship formed, how it unfolded. So,
2: you know, th- we've talked a little bit about it already, but we were in a, a a program at UNC Chapel Hill that basically brought, it was a cohort, and brought probably about 15 or so counties together, and different individuals from each of those counties came to Lee County school system. And that's where our cohort met. Um, so that was an hour and a half hour, hour and 15 minute ride, usually an hour for us because we always have the lead foot and that's what we became known for. But initially just, we were the only two in Guilford County. And it was, I looked at him, I was like, oh, this guy just introduced himself being in Guilford County too and working at Dudley. I work in the title one office, we're pretty close. We were four educators, and it was like, well, we can carpool. We were going there two times a week. So I think that's, it was just, you know, God put us in that scenario, and I think it, you know, looking back, that was the best thing that could ever happen to us, both of us. And so we just started the, the carpool from there every Wednesday and every Saturday.
0: So sure on the road, about two, two and a half hours each day, and then in class, in the same class for anywhere from like four to six hours each night.
1: And for how long was this?
2: year and a half of classes.
1: That's a lot. Have you, have you ever done the math on how many hours that was that you spent together?
2: No. It'd be staggering, Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, absolutely not, but I'm sure it was a lot. So one of <laughs> us was driving. The other one was doing homework.
2: It <laughs> Dep- depended on, in all seriousness, it depended on how the week was for each of us at our full-time job. Hey, Ben, I didn't get to this. Did you get to it? Yeah, I did. Okay, you're driving today. I got to do this.
0: And... So we just flip flop like that. We both have left feet. Like we we are speeders. Um and so we would often get speeding tickets. Um <laughs> and <laughs> and This was up. a
1: regular occurrence.
2: Yeah, it was like, hey. Unfortunately. <laughs> like <pretty laughs> often. That's um, why I married his wife, though. Absolutely. She's a great lawyer.
0: She knows it. Um <laughs> that was definitely a determining factor. Um, but but we both, we get tickets and speeding tickets and, and, and on the way there, um, and most of the time on the way back too. Uh, but in one of those instances, he, he recognized very quickly the difference between how he was treated versus how I was treated, um, during those conversations. And it was almost as if I had to put a muzzle on his mouth to keep him quiet so that we can get home
2: so that we didn't have the interaction with a police officer on the side of the road. I mean, that just, just straight bias about why, you know, he was African-American male as the white guy sitting in the passenger seat. And from the minute that officer approached, it was different. And I had been driving before I got pulled over probably about a month before. And it wasn't that same interaction. And it was, why are you two together? And at this, it was, it was later at night, so it was dark. And you could feel why has a young white male... And the young black male, you guys must be up to no good. That was almost 16, 17 years ago. I think at this point, it was a long time ago. And you could really feel, and that was the first time I really sort of like, wow, this is, this is real. I've heard, I I talked to him about it a few months prior to about like, how does that feel? But then I experienced it in the act. And that was really an eye-opening moment for me, for sure. I think it was later on
0: before we ever started talking about just, just how does that feel? Like how often does that happen? And and right. And, and and so is that been is that typical interaction? Like when we started having those types of conversations later on, I think as our comfort level grew, even more so after that. Um so it wasn't at that particular moment. Um and then there were um what Eric was talking about earlier, we were in class and there was one of those times where I'd actually done my work, which was not the norm usually i was <laughs> in the pastor seat um and so i i given the note sheet and so eric could do his work so i gave eric the note sheet and um, eric reviewed what i'd done and so he was working on his on the way right and so we get the class turning the same paper pretty for the most part because we are using the same exact notes we get the paper back and Eric's score is higher than mine um and we more or less i go through and i'm looking at the rubric and he's looking at it and i go back and sit down and he's looking like you going to say something? Like, what do, you, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, this is not okay. So after, you had different scores, different scores. And his was higher um, than mine was. And we had pretty much the same exact information. Um, and so when I had a conversation with the professor after that, more or less, he was just kind of like, well, I wrote the book. So I know what's in the book. I graded you the way it was graded, you know, more or less move on. And so that ride home was pretty much the same kind of conversation. You're not letting that go. Like, you can't let that go. Like, more or less if anything your paper's better than mine you're not that's not okay you're not gonna let it go so i went through that process because he wasn't gonna let it rest um and i'm glad i did but it was just to push the situation but even in that situation um what really fueled him up was when i when i met with you know some of the others in the department about the process and what was going on that i was told well if you open up this pandora's box you know he you're gonna have him you know for other classes and um it could get harder and more difficult for you in the other classes, and that I think that that was just what took his goat. Like it was just like, what do you mean? So they're okay with them doing this, knowing that it's wrong. You sent them both papers, like they know it's wrong. Why don't they just fix it? And so I carried on with the process um, until it was changed, until we got until I got it fixed. Um, but I don't know that I would have had he had had Eric just not kept pushing because I I realized at that moment. That although there were certain things that I had just grown to just accept, that they were still unacceptable.
1: So I have a friend who uses the term, she says, I like co-conspirator better than ally. Mm. And to some degree, it sounds like um in Herrick, you found both. Mm-hmm. You had an ally and a friend and then someone to conspire with you to make change. Absolutely. Um, And certainly now you all have moved to being co-conspirators, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so how is this relationship, this friendship between the two of you impacted how you lead your schools, how you see your students, how you see parents, how you see community members?
2: Even in the early stages of how to interact, how to go into communities, how to how to start forming those relationships. I mean, there were many a times, hey, I'm really trying to get in this neighborhood. I'm really trying to get in and partner with this business. Can you help me in that? Um, So even as far, when you talk about co-conspirator, I mean, using his relationship in the African-American community to help me begin that relationship and then be able to have that grow. But him being able to use him to get in in different communities or with different businesses has been really helpful. And then I think just that day-to-day relationship and understanding culture. Um, you know, we joke about it all the time. I ask so many questions about African-American hair. I ask questions about African-American churches. You know, unfortunately, we've had had a rough go at Page and lost um, a few of our students. And, and knowing how a black church operates completely different for funerals and knowing what to expect going in, knowing what I needed to do as the principal at page, and
0: he had preconceived notion that he was going to go to a black funeral and be out within an hour.
2: I, I don't know about all that. I said in a Methodist <laughs> church, like I was raised in a white <laughs> Methodist church, you were you were counting down sixty minutes to sixty minutes. I told him <laughs> just as a to bring some snacks, bring snacks,
0: <laughs> <laughs> wear <a> comfortable shoes. <laughs> Um, but no, I think the same thing. I think it's allowed us to kind of have one. I think it's allowed us to have some really good conversations without the fear of, can I ask this question and not feel like that he's looking at me differently and not be judged by the type of question that I ask. And I think that it's important to have that because it allows you to freely ask what questions you don't know and to educate yourself on things. Um, and he's asked questions in, So, you know, general questions that I don't know the answer to or that things that don't necessarily offend or bother me um, from a racial perspective, but it does for others. Um, There have been conversations that we've had um, that I don't know that he would have ever felt comfortable asking anybody else. Um, But it's important, I think, for us. And this is kind of why we started. Great expectation is to, how do we go about creating that for other people so that we can have that, and and if we can create that, then it creates an, a space where we can have some dialogue and conversation, not only in, a, in, a, in a, as a, as us as friends, but then that can go a lot broader to where we can have begin these conversations about just how to treat one another. Like the the, the most important characteristics out of all of this that we picked up on is a lot of the similarities, um, and even some of the lot a lot of the, the the notions of things that we just kind of assumed. Um, we've been able to discredit those or validate those, um, in a sense, but the things that I think that we connect the most on are the same things that any other relationship, regardless of what race you are, they connect on. It is like treat people well, like make sure that you love and care, like for others, act, like have a heart, you know, be, and both of us have like this, this servant heart and this servant mentality. And so from a, from a friendship perspective, I trust him with my kids, like I trust him. You know he he's gonna always be there. If there's something that I need, I'm sure I can call him. And even from a work perspective, he's called and asked questions. But I've also called and asked questions, right, um, Eric? I, I know this is probably gonna be better. You have this conversation maybe on a, maybe on a, a on an organizational level, or um, how did you work through this contract with this particular vendor? Like those sorts of things are important um, because I think it allows us to kind of do our jobs a little bit more effectively and efficiently.
1: Yeah, I think that what I Here is, there's a lot of gray, right? That your friendship was deepened and formed out of recognizing that your racial experience was different and you could talk about that. But your friendship is also formed because there are things about you that are just alike that don't have anything to do with race your sense of humor, your ability to relate to people, your love of family, clearly your love of kids. Like these don't have anything to do with your race. And yet, in America today, can you have things that aren't racialized, mm-hmm. right? So he, it's it's all in the gray, right? We don't have to say, hey, Eric, I'm calling you about a race question or Eric says, Marcus, I'm calling you about a race question. You're just friends and you're calling and sometimes that's got a racial context to it and sometimes it doesn't. It's it's negotiating with a vendor because he's another principal. Absolutely. Um, and yet you both feel safe knowing that this racial construct is sort of constantly there right? You've been, your eyes are open to it because you recognize how Eric walks in the world is often different. Eric recognizes how Marcus walks in the world is often different. Mm -hmm. So you're always looking for it or you're always awake to it. Is that a fair description?
0: I think so. I think that that's pretty on target. I think that it, it allows us to kind of be aware of who's around us, not only from a student perspective, but from a from a staff perspective as well, um, we we often hear and we we had this. I was asked this a couple of weeks ago. We often have this conversation about I don't see race. Well, I do. You I, you have to see me in order to know what experiences and life experiences I have. There's there's no doubt that I'm black. I mean, except for on Thursdays where I, you know I shift, but it, it's. <laughs> It's those sorts of things in conversation. It's
1: also hard to miss that Eric is white. Right. It's, <laughs>
0: it's hard. About like, as white as they can come. Right. It, it, it doesn't change. Like it's so so I think that, that that I think that us being open to knowing that there there's some differences, but it's
1: okay. What do you hope to accomplish with great expectations? I mean, I know you've set out to create a safe space for people to talk about race. Why? To what end?
2: I know. Growing up, I did not have a safe place. So I think originally it was centered around students and adults because I I remember vividly having a conversation with my father. I think I was 12 or 13 at the time. And one of my best friends happened to be African American. And I think at that point he thought, that I was worried about that, not with him about how that would be perceived in the community that we lived in. And he said it doesn't matter. He can come spend the night just like Stephen came and spent the night. Um, so that really stood out to me. And then as I looked back and I got got into the world of education, I knew that I did not have a safe place um, to speak about race. And then I thought about well, even in the current climate, we go to lots of diversity trainings, but sometimes those don't always feel like the safest place to really. Ask questions and have dialogue because I knew, and know to this day, I've grown so much over the past fifteen to twenty years in the partnership that we've had, and the friendship that we've had. And I know it's made me a better person, a better educator, and a better father for many. I think that's the biggest thing that we're trying to create is that safe place so that we can have better conversations because we all know the world we live in and it continues to be divided in so so many ways. Um, but knowing. There are so so many similarities there will help hopefully bring m- more people together.
0: As I was listening to ear, one of the things that, that I know that we both hope will come out of this is, is creating that gray space so that we can have conversation because it doesn't matter what the topics of those conversations are. What matters is that I'm listening for understanding to see things from somebody else's perspective. And so...
1: I'm going to pause. Listening for understanding... To see things from somebody else's perspective,
0: absolutely, It's a good, absolutely. Because it, honestly, like, and there's a, I mean, we just recently had a conversation about some things, and, and I don't remember what the the, the word was, or and Eric was like, is, "Is that offensive?" I was like, "Well, oh, no, not to me." And then I leaned to Tamika's to like, "This is offensive? Like, did I miss that somewhere in the book of what to be offended <laughs> You know,
2: uh, and I joked with him, like, "Didn't you? Why didn't you teach me this?" Right, the, the, right. The offensive, right.
0: On, And so, but. But he asked a question because he didn't want to be offensive. Right. And that that was not his intent by any means. But if we don't educate each other on what those things are, then we'll continue to be offensive to individuals that we don't even intend to be offensive to. You know what I mean? So there are certain... So I, I think that's one. And I think the other biggest piece for, for both of us uh, is whenever George Floyd um, was killed, Eric was one of the first people to call. It's like, you okay? Like, you good? because everybody was talking about the conversations that you have to have with black boys. And so I've had a conversation with both of my kids and they know like how to deal, what interactions to have, how to conduct themselves through those interactions. And we had a long conversation about, I don't, I don't have to have that conversation with my boys, but I am teaching them like that other people do and that is not okay. And so I think the other piece that we hope to come out of this is is to create more open-minded individuals Uh, more accepting individuals, so that our kids can live in a world that's a lot more cohesive and, and less divided.
1: What would you all say to those folks, and I had someone say this to me the other day, we just shouldn't talk about this stuff. It's just divisive. We should just move on and get along. Like, people keep bringing this up, and it makes it worse. What do, you, what do you say to that? When your whole raison d'etre is, no, let's talk about it. Let's get together and talk about it. There are those who say, quit bringing up this really divisive stuff and let's talk about other things and move well, on and work together.
2: Well, I think my quick response is to that is look at where we're at today. We haven't talked about it. We haven't really grown a lot, at least in my opinion, in many, many areas that we say we've addressed. We still have Many of the same issues that we had 50, 60, 70 years ago at this point. So, that, that would be my quick response to that. We've got to talk about it to make change, and it's got to be everybody coming together.
0: I think that by not talking about it, just like Eric said, it has us where we are. And if we're comfortable with where we are, then we'll continue to do the same things. And I think that there are times, which is the reason why we have great expectations. I think the individuals that say that have been placed in situations and conversations where one that was extremely uncomfortable or they were those conversations that were shouting matches instead of listening for understanding. And so that is more emphasis on why we want to create the space so that I don't walk out of a room with individuals feeling as if I've said something offensive or being judged by what my questions were. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that we have to have the conversation. And the last thing I will say is that I think the individuals that want to stray away from the conversation are living in a world of comfort where it doesn't impact them as much as those um, disenfranchised or uh, races or cultures or genders. Like those are things that I feel like that you're in your comfort zone. You don't, you don't right. necessarily know how it feels to be a woman. You don't know how it feels to be a minority. You don't, and so that is comfortable, so let's not talk about it because it's uncomfortable.
1: Words can bring us together or divide us. Here's how some folks we talk to define the word privilege.
2: Privilege means to me that someone has an advantage in their life, whether that was how they were born, where they were born, money that they've made or inherited.
1: Being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. How do you define privilege? Being right. Eric, the word privileged, how would you define that or explain that if someone's saying, I don't don't really get what that means. I'm not privileged. Or what do you mean when you say privileged?
2: So quickly, it would just be having an advantage over someone else in a particular scenario, whether it be a, a job or employment thing, whether it be sports, music, whatever that is, but just really having an advantage and a leg up on a situation in comparison to another person.
0: So I always like to use my personal self as the first example before transitioning to someone else. So the first one I would say is that my, my children are privileged in the sense that they have a father who works in the education system that they attend school in. So therefore, I know people, I know how the system works. And so in that system, I know how to navigate it a lot better than someone who may not necessarily be in that system. And so my children in that regard have a privilege. The other area that I like to also use is, is from a financial perspective, is that individuals that come from places um, where there's some financial wealth and they have access to resources versus individuals who are living in poverty that don't necessarily have access to Tutoring that don't necessarily have access to transportation, and these are all things that came about as the pandemic. There's a privilege there. There's there's some access that privilege provides to and an and, and an advantage to to those that have the privilege.
2: I, so, I would just add one more thing to that. I, I think it's also something that you can be born into, and something that also can be created for you. So sometimes as people we don't realize that we've been born into a situation until later on in life or it's been created many many years after it's happened to you it's more of that privilege yeah.
1: yeah so you could be born into privilege it could be created for you you could even work to create it for yourself
2: mm-hmm. but absolutely
1: but all of those things can be true there could be different kinds of or advantage financial advantage athletic advantage uh racial advantage absolutely. in a society that has racialized outcomes there can be mm-hmm. racial advantage absolutely marcus and Eric, thank you both for your willingness to share your friendship and your perspective with the world you both have very demanding day jobs and family lives and we're really excited at ga to be working with you on the great expectations project and look forward to some further conversations with some of your friends and colleagues
2: Hey, thank, thank you so much for having us
1: Thanks for listening. And you can help us build great schools by sharing this podcast with others. Let's stay connected. G-E-A-N-C dot org.